Well, good morning, powerful people. Welcome back to the Power at Work blog and this Workers by the Numbers blogcast. My name is Seth Harris. I'm a senior fellow at the Burns Center for Social Change at Northeastern University. And we are going to talk about the Bureau of Labor Statistics Employment Situation Report. That's the Jobs, Unemployment, and Wages Report for June. It's hot off the press. If there were presses anymore in American society, this would be hot off the presses. It's actually hot off the internet. Uh, BLS released the report 15 minutes ago. Joining me in analyzing the numbers today, two of our regular guests, expert labor economists who, who spend a lot of time digging through these numbers, looking for the nuggets of gold, the diamonds that are made by the pressing of numbers together. Um, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm out of metaphors for that. Uh, first guest is uh, our friend and uh, professor of economics here at Northeastern University in the uh, School of Public Policy and Urban Affairs, and also the research director at the Dukakis Center for Urban and Regional Policy, Alicia Modestino. Good morning, Alicia. Good morning, Seth. And also joining us uh, from the Economic Policy Institute, a senior economist, noted researcher, commentator on all things labor market and workers, Elise Gould. Good morning, Elise. Good morning. And let's get right to it. Um, the headline numbers are a little bit surprising uh, this morning, so let me take you through them. This is BLS's uh, June employment situation report. The unemployment rate fell to 3.6%. That's down from 3.7% in May. The unemployment rate has been holding steady between 3.4% and 3.7% since March of 2022. So this is right in line with what we've seen over the last 16, 17 months. The economy created 209,000 jobs in June. That is a decrease from May's increase of 306,000 jobs and April's 217,000 jobs. Let me just say, BLS significantly revised down the May and April numbers. So those are the revised numbers. We lost tens of thousands of jobs in that revision. But just to put it into context, the average monthly job increase in 2022 was 401,000 jobs. The average monthly increase over the last 12 months was 341,000 jobs, but the average increase in 2023 has been 278,000 jobs. But let me just say that skewed up a little bit because the January number was a gigantic number. I think it was 472,000. So, so it's actually a little bit lower than that. We are seeing a slowing in the growth in job creation in our country. Average hourly earnings increased by 12 cents from May to June. That's 0.4%. Um, that's slightly faster, very slightly faster than the 11 cent increase, the 0.3% increase that we saw from April to May. Comparing that to inflation, which is a little difficult because we don't have the June inflation numbers, we only have the May inflation numbers. The consumer price index rose only 0.1%. Uh, in May, and the same is true of the personal consumption expenditure price index. Those are two different measures of inflation. Also rose 0.1%. They're both at about 4% annually, a little lower than that. So workers 
gained ground. They made money. Their real wages, meaning their wages discounting for inflation, their real purchasing power actually increased again in June. Um, so let's let's take a look at what the numbers mean. We'll start with our usual overarching question, Alicia. Let me ask you, is this report good for workers? Is it bad for workers or is it a mixed bag? You know, I think overall this report is still pretty good for workers. It's, you know, kind of a straight down the middle jobs report, um, you know, that's not uh, the wild growth that we've seen over the last uh, few months or few years that uh, maybe we've grown accustomed to, because I think this is the first time that economists have not wildly underestimated what's happening um, with the job market today. Uh, but, you know, the growth is uh, somewhat also in line with what we saw with the payroll report. So, um, you know, 209 in the household report and about 273 um, uh, in the payroll report. So still good, uh, strong job growth that's, you know, above 200,000 a month. We've seen some of those revisions down, but again, that's still keeping us on track. Um, and again, wages, uh, you know, maybe are not growing as rapidly as they have um, over the past year or two, um, but we're still seeing uh, that workers are uh, swimming along, maybe trying to keep pace with inflation, and we'll we'll see what the Fed decides to do about that um, over the next uh, month or two. But overall, I think it's it's a good picture for workers. It's um, it's still a, an economy that's chugging along, um, and I'll say that you know the. Right now, the employment to population ratio, right, is is still, uh, you know, the highest it's been, I think, since 2001. So it's still a, a strong economy. That's the percentage of workers who are working compared with the total population of adults in the United States, employment to population ratio. That's Did I get right. that right? Right. Yes, no, I was asked, that, was a, that was actually a question. You're the economist. Thank you for unjargoning me on this lovely <laughs> no, I spend a lot of time on these broadcasts trying to translate uh, for folks. Um, so Elise, what do you think? Good for workers, bad for workers, or a mixed bag? I think it's pretty good for workers. I think there's some signs that we should keep an eye out for. But overall, when we have job growth stronger than 200,000, we are pulling workers back off the sidelines. We are continuing to grow the economy. And that is a positive sign. Certainly there are some um, concerns that I see there, but as you just mentioned, the employment to population ratio, the share of the population, particularly the prime age population, 25 to 54, we are seeing very high numbers there. Women's employment to population ratio for that prime age of the workforce, that is at a record high, even beating last month's historical record. Uh, so I think that there are definitely some positive signs there in the data we saw last month as well. These mixed results with the household survey, there were some Differences between the payroll survey and the household survey, that seems to mostly have been resolved this month. So we're not seeing that kind of mixed story in the data. Um, so those are all on the pro side that I would say that we are pretty strong. Again, wage growth, you've already mentioned, um, that is still that is still strong. Hopefully when we see the inflation numbers come out that these wages will be beating inflation, um, but still they are not, um, they, have, they have not been the thing that is pushing up inflation. On the negative side, I think we do need to look at black unemployment. Um, I was hoping last month that the rise in black unemployment after it had a, a record low, um, the increase in May would not continue, but it did continue in June. Similarly for young workers, we did see after a 70-year uh, a low two months ago, we saw that increase last month and then increased again this month. So I think those are the kinds of things that we need to be looking out for, but overall a strong report and I'm very optimistic. 
Yeah, so I'll make it unanimous. I think that this is a good report for workers. You know, when jobs are being created, unemployment is low, wages are rising, wages are rising faster than the inflation rate. So real wages are rising. We're seeing jobs being created, not just in low wage industries, but also in uh, good solid middle class jobs like the construction industry. Um, uh, in part, as both of you have described, participation is very strong. We have people coming into the labor force uh, in order to secure these well-paying jobs. I mean, that is a really good report. I was thinking about how would we have talked about this report during my service in the Labor Department under President Obama, where we had not experienced 500,000 jobs being created in a month or in multiple months because we were in a recovery as we've been uh, in the Biden presidency. And we would have touted this report as a tremendous success in the economy. We would have been running around waving our arms saying, hey, everybody, look at us. Things are going great. And I think the fact that we are having trouble sort of understanding what a good story this is for workers is partly, and this I'm going to turn this into a little bit of a rant. I promise I won't go on too long. But part of that is because the way the press has been writing about the economy, uh, and, and I, I don't want to call out anybody in particular, but there's a recent story in the New York Times, the way they talk about this economy, you would think that workers are holding on to the edge of a cliff with their fingernails, uh, that we're about to drop thousands of feet into a horrible calamity, that recession is coming, that inflation is out of control, that everything is going in a hard... None of that is true. It's just an effort to project where things might go. And so we see these newspaper stories and we see these online stories where the word recession and inflation appears more than jobs, more than real wages. And so I, I think we have to be one of the things that we're trying to do on this blog is to push back on this negative story about the economy and talk about really what does it mean for workers. And again, I agree with both of you this is a really good report. It's not a perfect report. There are some warning signs. Elise, you picked up on one of them. We we saw a little decline in retail employment this month. We've seen uh, some flat employment in manufacturing. We'd like to see the manufacturing job numbers go up further. But on the whole, I think a really good news. Okay, so Elise, let me, let me turn to you. This is when we go deeper into the report. Again, you're both experts at doing this, and you both look at different sets of things in the report, different statistics. So Elise, what are your one or two or three statistics of the day? So I think that it's important to mention what's happened with public sector employment. Um, that had the second highest gain that we saw in this month's data. So um, we are seeing uh, uh, adding 60,000 jobs in June. That's putting a serious dent in that, um, that deficit that has been holding on for so long. So for a long time, we saw public sector employment really be very slow growing. It ne never fell as far as private sector employment did in the depths of the pandemic, and yet it just never got back to where it was. So I'm very hopeful. I think that's a, that's a great sign uh, for what's happening there. Definitely public sector employment is one of the things I would highlight in this report. And then again, I think that women's um, employment to population ratio, I think that that is also a bright sign in this report, really seeing historically high levels there, just never seen before. So I think that's another number. And then on the lower side, I think that it's very concerning what's happening with black unemployment. Um, so that's something that I definitely wanna keep track of in the future. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a sense of what's happening 
with black unemployment and teen unemployment also, uh, you mentioned, has kicked up. Uh, maybe Alicia mentioned that. I'm sorry. No, um, it's fine. I mean, I think that one of the things we look at black unemployment, particularly if you're looking at black teen unemployment, is that there's a lot of volatility in the survey. So I wouldn't want to read too much into one month's um, trends. There could be some seasonality going on there, uh, particularly now that we're hitting the summer months. But I I would, would not want to put too much weight onto any of those months. But it's definitely something to look out for. Yeah. Uh, is, is there some sense that that those workers are sort of the the canary in the coal mine that they that that if there is going to be some kind of an employment downturn those are going to be the first groups of workers that are going to feel it yes absolutely as the late bill Spriggs would often say that that they are the canary in the coal mine that's who we have to look out for those historically disadvantaged workers so black workers that's also looking at young workers for that they're also a group that would often you would notice that downturn first among those those kinds of workers that um, employers may more quickly let go. But when we look at the JOLTS report that came out earlier this week, we didn't see any sort of rise in layoffs. We didn't see an additional, um, you know, any sort of story, any any signs of cooling. And I think that's pretty consistent with what we're seeing here. Yeah. Alicia, what is your one or two or three statistics of the day? Yeah, I was going to pull that thread on teen employment um, a little bit further. Uh, this is, uh, these are the moments where young people are out seeking jobs in much greater numbers. So there's definitely that seasonality in there. Um, and what I really keep an eye on is looking at how, um, in particular, Black and Hispanic teens are faring relative to white teens, right? So we saw unemployment tick up um, for youth age 16 to 19 um, uh, between May and June but it was a much larger increase for black teens. So for black teens, the unemployment rate went from 11.7% to 15.6%. Um, and that's a much larger increase than we saw for Hispanics, which was less than a one percentage point increase. Um, and for whites, which was even smaller than that. And so, you know, this is kind of the time of year when um, teenagers are going out there, they're looking for jobs. And even though it's a strong labor market, it is again, just not a labor market that you know, where it's a rising tide that lifts all boats equally. Um, and that's where a lot of those summer youth employment programs come into play, particularly in large metro areas like New York, Chicago, Boston, DC, to really fill that gap uh, for young people who are in, um, you know, low income marginalized neighborhoods where there just aren't a lot of job opportunities nearby. Um, so I'll be really interested to see what what that number looks like next month, because we know this is reflecting young people coming into that labor market and searching for a job. So it'll be um, interesting to see next month whether or not they were successful in landing that job. Um, and I do feel, you know, as as Elise was mentioning, you know, we're somewhat uh, in a holding pattern, I think, if you will, in terms of where we're at, where we've seen these big increases um, in employment for certain populations. We've seen wages rise. I think for me, looking at the jolts, you know, I'm looking at that quit rate and I'm seeing that the quit rate has, you know, fallen and we're kind of back to where we were pre-pandemic in terms of the quit rate, particularly for industries like hospitality and retail, um, where turnover was really the highest coming out of the pandemic. Um, and so I feel like uh, there's a little bit of a sense on the part of both workers and employers that we don't know when the shoe's gonna drop. We don't know what's around the corner. And so everyone's kind of staying put. Maybe they've found a better job that they like that's uh, better pay. Uh, and I think uh, the music is certainly 
uh, set to stop soon. So everyone's got a chair and they're they're looking to stay uh, seated, right? And not be the one left without a chair when the music does stop. Yeah, I want to I want to talk a little bit about the the job you said the Jolts report, the job opening and labor turnover survey that uh, BLS released earlier this week. And one of the things that that report measures is workers who are voluntarily quitting their jobs. And what we, although that was described inaccurately by a lot of people in the press as the great resignation, what it really was, was the great job switch, right? People were trading right. in crappy jobs, low paying jobs with low job quality for better paying, better quality jobs that maybe would allow them to build a career and climb into the middle class. Um, and what we saw um, uh, in uh, 2022 and also in 20 late 2021 and the beginning of this year was a very high quit rate above 4 million not quit rate but quit number absolute number of people quitting jobs north of 4 million people a month were quitting their jobs we've talked about it here a good bit and then that number went down over the course of the last several months it actually went up again in may which That's is right. the jolt the jolts report right the jolts report looks back to may it went up again to to 4 million and so that and tell me if you agree with this that to me is a very powerful indicator and i think actually bls and some of the press coverage makes this point that's a powerful indicator of how workers are thinking about the labor market that it's an indicator that they think there are better jobs out there for them so i'm going to quit my low paying job with no benefits and I can go out and get a job either that has benefits or that has fewer hours and I can combine it with another job or I can buy, combine, combine it with going to school or getting some other kind of job training. Um, it, what are we to make of the, the, the story you're telling us about teen workers where they're coming into the labor market, it's summer, they're out of school, and this high quit rate, or are those two totally different stories, do you think? No, they're they're very interconnected because the job market is really a job ladder, right? So we have entry-level workers coming in and, and teens are the most entry-level worker because they have very little experience. They don't have a lot of human capital. That's what they're building. And the hardest thing is to get your foot in the door, right? So that old phrase of how do you get job experience without a job? But how do you get a job without job experience, right? Is what they live every summer. And so when we see low wage workers giving up that second job in retail or that second job uh, waitressing in a restaurant or whatever it might be, and moving up into a better paying job, that frees up a job, particularly for somebody, you know, very inexperienced, like a young person. So we finally, during the pandemic, saw you know, ice cream shacks, uh, you know, in Cape Cod in Massachusetts, actually staffed by teenagers, like it used to be 20 years ago, or, you know, lots of restaurant jobs, lots of grocery store jobs going back uh, in time to where uh, youth used to take those jobs and get that first foothold in the labor market because adults didn't have to hold down two jobs. So I've recently been doing a series of interviews with um, childcare providers. And childcare providers in particular were able to raise wages um, in part uh, because of the stronger economy, but also because of a lot of uh, federal funding that flowed into states to be able to do that. And the biggest impact on their workers is being able to quit their second job. So I, I think that it's all very well interconnected. 
Um, and, you know, I, I also think that, you know, we'll talk about this in a minute when we get to worker power, but really we can see sort of the sum of what that means over time in terms of how, you know, this really increased wages uh, and benefits at the bottom of the distribution really compared to the top. Yeah, uh, uh, very important information. I had more I wanted to ask you about teen workers, but I want to, I'm going to quickly give my answer on the statistic of the day. And then I, I want to get to worker power because we're all about worker power here at the Power at Work blog, as you might imagine. Uh, my my statistic of the day, I, I come back to this, uh, these two numbers very often, and that is the number of workers who are not in the labor force but would like to work, that number went down slightly. I don't think it necessarily indicates very much, but these are the people who want to get back into the labor market. It had bumped up uh, in May significantly, which suggested to me that we now had a, we had workers who had given up on their job search and who'd said, begun telling BLS, I don't really want to work. I'm not ready to go back to work now being ready to go back to work. And they're sort of peering over the wall, trying to decide, do I want to climb the wall and start the job search again? That number went down slightly, but there's still a lot of workers out there. So when we talk about there being some demand from employers that can't be matched by supply by workers, that's the number that is really right on the edge. And we're not seeing, if we saw that number go way, 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 way down, that would mean that employers were pulling all of those people back into the labor market or that the workers had given up. It could mean other, either extreme. The other number that I pay close attention to is the number of workers uh, who are working part-time involuntarily. That number, and I think that this is not a good thing, went up by 452,000. What that suggests is that uh, a large number of workers who would like to be working full-time, a much larger number of workers who would like to be working full-time are stuck in part-time jobs. That is an indicator of softening demand among employers for workers. It means that they are not able to give those hours to those uh, part-time workers, or they're not willing to give those hours to part-time workers. Uh, that suggests a little bit of softening. Now, you want to get a little deeper. We want to know where that's occurring, what kind of workers it's happening with. But And also, these numbers tend to bounce around a good bit. The, you know, it's the, the sample size is fairly small, so it may not mean anything. Again, Elisa's warning earlier that we got to be careful about drawing conclusions about data from one month, but th those are the numbers I'm I am focusing on. Um, let's let's go to worker power because you know that's where we try to focus things. Alicia, what does this report mean for worker power? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, taking a step back from the month to month to looking at the bigger picture. Uh, I was reading about a paper earlier this week that came out. Um, uh, from Aaron DeBay and David Otter, two economists, uh, looking at uh, what what does this mean over the past two years? We've seen wages increase at the bottom uh, pretty dramatically. We we see more people getting jobs. What what has that done to inequality? Right. So we saw from over the last several decades, from 1980 all the way up until the pandemic, a tremendous increase in income inequality, and it was really you know the top uh, taking off uh, the middle you know, barely treading water and the bottom really losing in terms of real wage growth. And that seems to have completely shifted. So they estimate that about a quarter of that increase in inequality has been completely reversed by the strong surge in wage growth that we've seen at the bottom of the distribution in just two years. I mean, that is, that's a lot of worker power happening very, very rapidly. Now, the question is, how, how do we sustain that? Um, 
How do we maintain that even, right? We have more work to go. We just reverse a quarter of it. That means three quarters of it still remains. Uh, and you know, as we've seen in this moment, and at least in this uh, jobs report this month, that you know, wages are uh, they're chugging along where they were. We're not sure where inflation is. We see maybe a softening uh, in, uh, you know, as you said, uh, some workers going to part-time work, some softening in retail, you know, makes us feel like we're we're at that moment where we're again just sort of swimming but not thriving, um, at where we've seen workers really thrive in the last two years. So. I think it's been a tremendous boost to worker power over the past two years. Um, and I, I think it's really hard to forecast where we're going, but I'm, I'm very optimistic that we'll at least maintain those gains. Elise, what do you think? Worker power, good, bad, indifferent? Well, I think about the leverage. We talked about the great reshuffling, um, certainly not as strong as a year ago, 18 months ago, but it's still there. We see that uptick in quits um, for May. You know, We don't have the data for June yet on that. Um, but today we see wage growth continuing, nominal wage growth pretty much the same um, year over year as we saw last month. That's that's promising. I think that all the, the reports about what is happening, particularly for low-wage workers, as you mentioned, um, the Aaron Dubé, uh, David Otter, and Annie McGrew paper um, looking at uh, what has happened and what kind of st strength um, low-wage workers, what kind of leverage they've been able to uh, wield in this labor market. I have some concerns about whether or not those can be locked in. What have we done on the policy side to really lock in that leverage that may have been gained? Uh, we haven't done anything, let's say, to raise the minimum wage. Uh, some states have, and certainly um, as if the economy softens at some point, um, those states are gonna be a, a bit ahead in terms of helping those workers maintain that leverage in the future. When we think about the kind of insecurity that some workers may still feel, um, even though they have this leverage. Remember, we came from such a low base um, in terms of what was happening, uh, not only in the depths of the pandemic, but for decades of growing inequality. So it's great to reverse that out in the last couple of years, uh, but still wages, when you look at their levels are still incredibly low and it is still very difficult for many workers and their families to make ends meet. Yeah, so I I, I think I'm going to uh, enthusiastically agree with both of you. Um, I like that you both took the long term perspective, looking at that uh, that new very important paper. Uh, I I want to look at where we are right now, and you know the the measure of worker power is whether or not workers can wield that power to produce better outcomes for themselves. Wages are up. Wages are up. Real wages are up, meaning that uh, nominal wages are above inflation. That's a measure of worker power. Workers are able to quit their jobs in very large numbers. Um, that's a measure of worker power. There's one I did want to make one point. Alicia, you had mentioned that the quit number had dropped down to where it was pre-pandemic, but the quit number immediately before the pandemic, in the year or year and a half right before the pandemic, was extremely high, it was historic historically very, very high. Mm. So dropping down to a historically very high number, even though it was much higher after immediately after the pandemic, doesn't mean that quits have dropped down and workers don't have power. You know, we're not, as as Elise said, we are not seeing significant increases in layoffs, right? We have seen sort of a secular increase. Uh, overall in the number of people filing for initial unemployment claims. And we have seen a bump in the jolts, layoff uh, uh, and discharge numbers, but not a substantial increase, not a spiking increase. It's sort of a leveling up, which is what you would expect to happen since we're very, very, very deep into this economic recovery. So my view is for right now, worker power remains quite strong. 
Are there indicators that there might be some concerns in the future? Well, we'll have to see what happens after this one month of data. This is one month of data, but jobs are being created. Workers are finding those jobs. Workers are peering over the wall, trying to figure out if they want to join the labor market. That is a good solid, in my view, a good solid sign of worker power. But let me also say, we're going to get a clearer measure of worker power this month when the Teamsters and UPS either do or don't settle their contract, the largest private sector negotiation, private sector bargaining unit in the United States, 340,000 people wearing brown uh, who are Teamsters members. If the, uh, the Teamsters have already won a number of very important concessions at the bargaining table on non-economic issues, they have gotten UPS to agree to get rid of the dreaded two-tier, the hated two-tier system that they had established the years ago. Um, but the question is going to be what happens with wages and pensions? Are they able to get meaningful increases on wages and pensions? One of the things that our friend Bill Spriggs often warned us about is that don't don't be too caught up in all this rhetoric about wages and 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 compensation rising most collective bargaining agreements don't show very substantial increases some of them have john deere and the uaw last year was one indication of that but not all of them do so it'll be interesting to see what that very large uh, bargaining unit is able to win at the bargaining table whether their wages and pensions will grow in a meaningful way that'll be a good measure of uh, of worker power uh so there are two things i want to do before i let everybody go the first is i want to i want to say another word about our friend uh, bill spriggs uh who we lost much much too young um bill a great friend of this uh of this blog and a regular contributor to these monthly jobs numbers uh blogcast uh just an outstanding advocate for working people, especially for black workers and others who are too often left out of the public policy debate and too often left behind in the labor market. Uh, I'll be joining uh, Bill's friends and family and brothers and sisters from the labor movement in a memorial a service uh, uh, tomorrow. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm looking forward to it, but I am looking forward to celebrating Bill's remarkable accomplishments and his, his uh, uh, impressive life. And I know that Alicia and Elise join me in expressing condolences to his family and also uh, urging everybody to look closely at Bill's work because it, it it's still as as Elise was saying earlier it really resonates with uh, these monthly jobs reports and with our discussions of economic policy uh, his voice is really going to be missed in those discussions it's incumbent on the rest of us to carry his message forward and then uh, I have uh, other uh, not quite as sad news because it's not as big a loss, but it's an important loss for the Power Work blog. Lexi, would you come up here, turn your camera on, come up here? This is Lexi Anderson, Alexandra Anderson, who is our producer, our technical producer, our social media promoter. She has been a co-op student with the Power at Work blog. She's a student at Northeastern University. She's been our co-op student since December. She has done a remarkable job helping to build the Power at Work blog and running these blogcasts. And this is her last blogcast. And it's her second to last day at the Power at Work blog. So, Lexi, on, on behalf of not just our panelists, but all of the, the, the army of people who create the Power at Work every day, who you lead, we're so grateful for your fantastic service and your leadership and your great work. So thank you very much. You want to say quick hello and goodbye to everybody? Yes. Um, thank you so much for saying that. Um, thank you again, everyone, for, for coming. This has been a really awesome experience um, over the past few months. So thank you so much. Great. 
employers, hire Lexi Anderson. That's what I have to say to you. So with that, I want to thank Alicia Modestino and Elise Gould for their brilliant commentary and their support of this uh, this production. They're absolutely essential to it. And I learned a lot during this broadcast. I hope you did as well. Hey, follow us on social media at Power at Work blog on Twitter at Power at Work blog on the new threads at Power at Work blog <laughs> on Instagram. We have a Power at Work page on LinkedIn. Follow that page. Subscribe to the blog. We'll send you the weekly download, a collection of uh, articles and studies and, and great interviews and other things that are on the internet. We send that to you every week in your inbox. You can also find it on the blog. So connect with us, give us ideas, tell us what questions you have that we can answer during this broadcast. Uh, and we're looking forward to seeing you again very soon right here on the Power at Work blog. Thanks a lot, everybody.